welcome to Historical, where we're telling the stories that have shaped the world. Today we're heading back to a time when tigers smoked tobacco, serpents dreamed of dragonhood, and frogs had complicated funeral rites. If that seems like too far to go, please subscribe and join us on Instagram and Facebook so you'll have some company on the way. And don't panic, these are all basically just precursors to K-pop, Squid Game, and the rest of the Korean wave. For anyone not using Netflix, YouTube, or Spotify to dull the existential angst of the 21st century, let me catch you up. Since about the early 1990s, South Korean culture and South Korean popular entertainment more specifically has been gaining popularity across the world. Gangnam Style, the super catchy song with the ridiculous dance, became the first YouTube video to hit a billion views in 2012 and was hailed by Ban Ki-moon as a force for world peace. I'm pretty sure he meant because it united people across cultural, religious, and linguistic divides, but equally, I like to imagine the G7 having a series of elaborate dance battles in the rain. See Step Up to the Streets for reference. And the cultural phenomenon has continued with bands like Blackpink and BTS, and programs like Squid Game, which have all treated pre-existing records like snipers at target practice. Interestingly, despite the fact that they're at the peak of their international and local success, BTS has gone on hiatus until all seven members of the band have completed their compulsory military service. South Korea has had a policy of conscription since 1957, which requires all males to perform 21 months of mandatory service at some point between the ages of 18 and 28. In 2020, the government passed a law that gives a two-year extension to K-pop stars, and there was some speculation in the media at the time that this was done with BTS specifically in mind. But storytelling has been central to Korean culture long before the Grammys and Emmys and the very pastel-toned music videos. It's a complex mix of myths, folktales, and shamanic narratives. And just to make it more interesting, there are multiple points of crossover and departure. For example, there are literary myths, which are mythologies created about historical lineages and kingdoms and which have been written down. And then there are the living myths or shamanic narratives, which are more religious and supernatural, but do also contain elements of the same events as the literary myths. And then we have the folktales, which are generally more local and domestic. They do contain elements of the supernatural, but not the religious. Sometimes they're exactly the same story as some of the myths, but desacralized. If that boggles your brain a bit, just think about the way that most of the world celebrates Christmas. And speaking of Christmas, one of the other things that makes Korean folktales and mythology so rich is the myriad of religious influences over the years, with shamanism, Buddhism, Confucianism, and Christianity all adding bits of flavor amongst others. We've got a few of these folktales in store for you today, but let's start with the tiger. A great number of Korean folktales begin with the words... A long, long time ago, when tigers used to smoke. Which is basically just a far cooler way of saying, once upon a time. The first story is cunningly entitled, Green Frog. And it's about a green frog. It's also about, as far as I can tell, the very first documented Opposites Day. A long time ago, when tigers used to smoke, there was a green frog. The green frog had a mum, who was very sweet and patient, and probably as pretty as a frog can be, because all fairy tale mums are good looking. I think there's a test. Anyway, the green frog was going through his teen frog years, and was an utter bane. 
he'd clearly decided to push back against parental authority in a big way, by treating every day as opposite day. If his mum said go left, he went right. If she told him to go to the hills, he went to the river. If she sent him to bed, he went out, probably to filch ciggies off the tiger. The mother frog was getting more and more desperate, and was probably spending too much time on social media, because she'd fallen into the trap of thinking all the other frogs had perfectly behaved children. She tried all the normal things, grounding, shouting, no TV before Lilypad, but nothing worked. Her son stayed contrary, and she carried on racking up the greys. Eventually, she got so worried that she made herself sick, and as she lay dying, she started thinking about her final resting place. She wanted a nice, peaceful spot on the mountains, but knowing her son, she figured if she told him that, he'd probably chuck her into a shoebox in the river. So she decided to play him at his own game. She called him to her bedside and asked him very nicely to bury her on the riverbank, and under no circumstances whatsoever to bury her on the mountains. Then, thinking that she'd finally be able to get a moment's peace, she closed her eyes and popped her clogs. Green Frog was, understandably, heartbroken, and not least because he realised he'd never been particularly nice to his old mum. He knew he'd quite literally worried her to death and felt awful for being such a brat. Deciding that the best thing he could do for her was to follow her final instructions to a T, he wrapped her up nicely in her favourite doily and carried her down to the riverbank. He buried her in a little hole, even though he knew the riverbank was a terrible location, 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 and then set himself up higher on the bank to watch over her grave. Sure enough, when monsoon season came, the water rose and washed the grave away, and he sat on the bank weeping for his lost mother. And that, so the story goes, is why green frogs still cry whenever it rains. The moral of the story is basically, don't annoy your parents, you'll miss them when they're dead. Although I'd like to propose an alternative. Don't wait until you're dying to start beating people at their own game. Continuing on the theme of how to be a good citizen, we go on to the three questions. Long, long ago, when tigers smoked pipes, there was a farmer who had three sons. They had a tough time, although whether this was because of bad luck or whether they were just really bad farmers, the story doesn't say. Eventually, they were so poor that the only way they could cobble together a living, so to speak, was by making straw sandals. This bit is actually historically accurate. In ancient Korea, people wore disposable sandals made of straw. Often, distance was measured in the number of sandals that wore out between start and finish, and the sandal trade was considered the height of poverty. One day, son number three decides he's had enough. He sets off to find the Jade Emperor, the ruler of heaven. Intriguingly, he doesn't want the Jade Emperor to do anything necessarily, but he wants to ask why their lot in life needs to be so hard. Of course, his father points out that finding the heavenly kingdom, not to mention getting into it, might be a bit tricky. The young man picks up a staff, saying, I'll walk until the staff is worn down. There's no way the heavenly kingdom can be further than that. With this exceptionally well-thought-out plan, he picks a random direction and starts walking. After several days or weeks, he reaches the shore of the sea. By now, he's worked up a healthy appetite and is quite keen for a nap. Fortunately, there's a very nice house overlooking the ocean, so he goes down to ask for a room. The house is owned by a young and exceptionally attractive widow. 
The young man tells her his plan, if you can call it a plan, and instead of asking valid follow-up questions and or checking him for a fever, she asks him to pass on a question of her own to the Jade Emperor. Every time I get married, she says, my husband dies. Please ask why that must be so. Promise you will bring the answer back for me. Sure, he says, making gooey eyes at her, and not at all concerned that she may be a serial killer. The next day, he sets off again, heading for the ocean. He finds a small boat conveniently hidden on the beach, and pinches it because nobody seems to be looking. As he sets sail, the weather takes a nasty turn and a gust of wind carries him far out to sea. In the distance, he sees jagged peaks rising from the horizon, and he tries to steer a course for the little island. As he lands and jumps onto terra firma, he hears a creepy voice shout, Who dares to set foot on my island? Now, a number of logical reactions present themselves, including, but not limited to, shrieking, screaming, and running away. The young man chooses none of the above. He turns around and extends his hand politely to the massive serpent that has crept up behind him. Hello, he says. I'm terribly sorry to intrude, but I'm just nipping off to see the Jade Emperor to ask why my life is so rubbish, and why that nice lady over yonder seems to be killing all her husbands. Oh, in that case, says the serpent, no wazzles. Would you mind asking the emperor a question for me too? I have this super convenient route straight to him that I'm about to show you, but I've never bothered to go myself for reasons I haven't yet considered. That tracks, said the young man. What's the question? Won't you just find out why I haven't yet been turned into a dragon like all my friends? Please and thank you. The young man agrees, and the serpent belches out a giant cloud of mist. As the sun catches it, a rainbow forms, and the young man runs up the rainbow path and lands in the hall of the heavenly palace. The story is mum as to whether he could have saved himself some bother and used a common or garden rainbow at home. Looking up, he sees that he has landed at the foot of the throne. Who the hell are you? says the Jade Emperor. I'm a poor farmer turned sandal maker, says the young man, and I've come to find out why life has to be so miz for me and my fam. That is your fate, says the emperor. If I had given you an easy life, you'd all be dead by now. Any chance you could be a bit less opaque, the young man asks. Nope, says the emperor. Oh well, worth a shot, says the young man. Real quick, can I hit you with some questions from two randoms that I have no prior history with? Shoot, says the emperor. The lady by the sea wants to know why her husbands keep pegging, and that old serpent on the island wants to know why he isn't a dragon yet. Those ones are easy, cries the emperor. You should have led with that. The lady could live a long and happy life if she only married a man who had a magic jewel. All other men who marry her will die. Oh, that makes perfect sense, says the young man. It seems so obvious when you say it out loud. And the serpent is trapped by his own greed, continues the jade emperor. A dragon may have one magic jewel, but that greedy fool has two. That is forbidden by the law of heaven. I have absolutely no idea how these two problems might meet and resolve themselves, says the young man. But thanks for your help. He slides back down the rainbow bridge to find the serpent waiting. Fortunately, the serpent is a bit sharper than he is. He gives one magic jewel to the young man, tells him to brush his hair before proposing, and then turns immediately into a magnificent dragon. The young man marries the young widow and returns home, and all of them live happily ever after possibly sponging off of the money 
from the uncounted dead husbands. Folktales tend not to dwell on those details. Thank you for joining this episode of Historical. If you enjoyed yourself, please head over to your streaming platform of choice, subscribe so that you never miss another episode, and leave us a rating and review so that we can continue to tell cool stories. You can also come and find us on Instagram and Twitter at historical underscore podcast and join the Facebook group, which is an excellent place to tell us which words you'd like to hear next. Join us again for more words that shape the world every Tuesday.